0: afternoon and welcome to authentic living with andrea matthews over the next hour you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns you'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life now here's your host andrea matthews
1: hello and welcome to authentic living today our guest today uh, has not yet called in but we're going to go ahead and proceed as if uh, she's going to call in we're still waiting for that call And I'm going to talk about her and and her book, and if she does not call in from Australia, by the way, then we will go ahead and proceed and talk about the topics that she was going to talk about today anyway. So our guest today was the author of the Australian best-selling book called Wisdom Man, a moving and powerfully awakening book about the Aboriginal leader Banjo Clark, about whom the Australian State Minister of Aboriginal Affairs once said, one didn't talk to Uncle Banjo, such was his presence that one listened, because if you didn't listen... You could not absorb the wisdom and the spirit of this great man. The author of Wisdom Man is Camilla Chance, an Australian who has been deeply involved with the Aboriginal culture for over 27 years. Camilla has been a lyric writer for an international performing group, the Kuban Cossacks, a high school teacher, an editor, a wife and mother, and a book reviewer for two prestigious Australian newspapers, The Age and The Australian, Her book is the winner of the American USA BookNews.com Award for Best Multicultural Work, and she's the first non-Aboriginal to receive the prestigious Unsung Hero Award from the Aboriginal people for her dedicated friendship and work for them behind the scenes. Her work has changed her life and philosophy, and we hope that if she does call in today, if there hasn't been some um, accident or something that has kept her from calling in, that we're going to learn more about how that change occurred for her as we talk to Camilla Chance. But in the meantime, what we're going to do is talk about some of the things that uh, this remarkable man did. Banjo Clark was a wisdom man born in the 1920s near Framlingham Forest of Warrnambool Victoria, Australia. Banjo became known by thousands of people for he touched them all in some way. It's, it's hard to believe that anyone who ever met him was able to forget him, but, and they wouldn't want to because, as I understand it, he left behind the text of Wisdom Man and told it to Camilla Chance. So the story that unfolds is about a man who impacted not only his own culture but the entirety of the continent of Australia, because ultimately, after his death in February of 2008, an official apology was issued to the Aboriginal people from the Australian government through the Prime Minister Rudd, saying, We apologize for the laws and policies of successive parliaments and governments that have inflicted profound grief, suffering, and loss on these, our fellow Australians. So one of the things that this book has to offer us as Americans is the idea that uh, kindness is a way of changing the hearts and minds of people who are discriminating against you, a very difficult concept for us to uh, absorb here in America where... It seems that our, our first and foremost method of operating, when it comes to people who are unkind to us, is self-defense. Uh, we even have a, a law that says that we we can uh, kill somebody in self-defense, and you know I might participate in that myself if I really had to. But the point is that we tend to believe that the response to hatred is hatred, and. Um, that wasn't uh, Banjo Clark's response. His response was to be kind and forgiving in a, in a, at a time when, in the early 1920s, that was not the, the, the natural response. In today's time, we hear a lot about people who are forgiving people who have harmed them in some very disastrous and tragic ways, going to jails and forgiving people who have raped them, going to jails and forgiving people who have killed daughters and sons, um, and these things have life-changing consequences for the forgiven as well as the forgiver or forgiver. And so I want to talk a little bit about that whole notion of kindness to people who are not so kind and what impact that has. First of all, I think what we have to say is that kind of kindness has to be authentic. It can't be faked. Um, and that's, that's hard to come by when we have anger, when we feel threatened, and that is when we have anger. Uh, when, when someone is unkind to us or hateful to us, our, our, our reaction is based upon how we view ourselves. That's right. It's not how, based upon how we view them. It's based upon how we view ourselves. So, if I am unkind to someone else, well, that may have to do with my own image of myself as being threatened by that other person. That other person has some kind of power, and the only way that I can make sure that they don't get that power over me is to be unkind back. Um, so unkindness is a kind of uh, shield we throw up to say, you can't hurt me, I'll get you first. And so we, we are very often unkind in that name. I've done it, you've done it, we've all done it. Uh, but from an, uh, an authentic perspective, when we get to know who we really are, that means to peel back the layers of masks and costumes and and find out who we are way down deep under all that, go down to the peaceful roots where, uh, uh, where the roots of the tree are just taking in energy and giving them to the tree in that peaceful, gentle way of just taking in and giving out, taking in and giving out. And from there, we're not so afraid that someone else can hurt us. We're not afraid that someone can disturb our peace of mind. We're not afraid that they have power to ruin our lives. We're not afraid that they can, quote-unquote, damage us. We just come from that peaceful place. And I never met Banjo Clark. Uh, I wish we could talk to Camilla today to find out more about him and about exactly how what the impact he had on her personally. But my imagination about him is that his approach was one of, sincere, gentle, graceful authenticity. He was a man who was very close to the earth. He was a man who believed that the land was sacred. And um, so in that process of really being in that really gentle, peaceful place, a man who not only came from that gentle, forgiving, peaceful place, but also was a boxer for 40 years, interestingly enough, uh, what, what, what it seems to me that he came to was this place of just knowing that he was going to be all right. He was okay, and therefore, he didn't have to worry about whether or not other people had the power to threaten, harm, hurt, or damage him. And from that place, it's a lot easier to forgive. Uh, This whole word of forgiveness has taken on monumental terms in this day and age, particularly in the New Age, New Thought niche, um, as we talk about how we uh, evolve toward greater and greater awareness and how we Utilize the law of attraction and how we put ourselves in a place of uh, meditational bliss. We talk a lot about forgiveness, but so many times I see people try to come to forgiveness without coming first to authenticity, and the result is pretty fake. To be honest about it, it's it it comes off as oh well, I've forgiven that person, but I haven't forgotten. But when you start talking to them about what's really gone on. What's really happening in their own hearts and minds, they're still really filled with hatred about that person. So they tell themselves they've forgiven, but they haven't even come close to forgiving. Because forgiveness is a process, and it's a process of acceptance. And the first acceptance that has to take place before we can begin to accept other people is the acceptance of ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we accept ourselves, we are able, therefore, to really be compassionate toward other people because we've been compassionate toward ourselves. We've begun to see ourselves as mortals who make mistakes, whose mistakes, in fact, have been wise teachers, whose mistakes have really uh, helped us become more who we truly are. And in that process of learning that mistakes are a part of our process of growth, we're much e- we're much easier on other people. We tend to um, say that they can make the same mistakes we have and worse, because those, all, all those seeming mistakes are really just methods of getting us to a place where we are more true to who we are. So an acceptance works in the same way, as we've said before, that grief does. It goes through the same exact stages of denial, anger, sorrow, or depression, depending on how we handle the sorrow and anger and, and denial, bargaining, is the fourth stage, and then finally we come to acceptance. Each one of those stages has a place in our lives. Each one of those stages is a place where we can um, build and grow, and they don't just come in any kind of order. They come in a mishmash, (laughs) if you will. So we're going to talk some more about that after the break. Stay tuned for more authentic living. We'll be back in just a moment.
2: For a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, it was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit... A-I-H-T dot E-D-U All my love
0: When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV cancer and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops.
2: Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
1: And welcome back to Authentic Living for our second segment. Still have not heard from Camilla Chance. Sorry about that, Uh, listening audience. I know you were looking forward to hearing from her today. But we are talking about her book, Wisdom Man, about the life of Banjo Clark, an Aboriginal uh, who affected her life very greatly and also changed the face of, of how we perceive the Aboriginal people or how we can perceive the Aboriginal people. And that led us to a discussion about discrimination and how unkindness is one of the ways that we treat things that we fear, and that led us further to a discussion about his response to that, which was that he believed in reconciliation in its most generous and forgiving form, which then led us to a discussion about forgiveness. And we've been talking just a little bit about forgiveness and what that means because it's such a hot topic right now when it comes to um, our new thought, new age uh, responses we tend to believe that in order for us to activate the law of attraction and in order for us to become fully conscious, we must forgive others. And um, even in the Christian faith, there's that statement in the Lord's Prayer that says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who forgive us, uh, or who are indebted to us. And so we want to be sure and forgive others. That's one of the things that we're really pushing sort of right now, is that idea that we should forgive other people for what they do to us. At the same time, there's the notion that um, forgiveness is a form of acceptance. And how do we accept others when we have not yet accepted ourselves? And that's sort of where we left off last time. Because as we said, forgiveness is a process. It is not something we do by saying, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, which some, some authors will tell us that is exactly what we need to do. That's a form of just um, repressing. Uh, we repress that uh, hatred, that bad feeling, that um, anger, and we say, oh, I forgive you, and it's all okay now, and we tell ourselves lies, we tell ourselves that my rational mind is the only um, problem here. My, my rational mind is the mind that's hating, but actually, it isn't thoughts at all that hate, it's emotions, and hatred is a, um, is a uh, mask for love. Hatred is love-wounded. We don't hate anyone we didn't first love. Uh, indifference, you know, that's another whole ballgame. We can be indifferent to people that we didn't first love, but we can't be. Uh, we can't hate somebody that we didn't first love. So we, uh, the idea is that we we do have to go through these various stages because hatred is so painful. Hatred is uh, a feeling of just um, uh, intense anger. It's a feeling you can literally feel physically in your chest. Um, So I'm thinking that what we have to do to be able to move past that is do a lot more than just think. It's going to require some deeper work. And that work does involve the process of, like we said, denial, anger, sorrow, bargaining, and then finally acceptance. Because acceptance is the same as forgiveness. Acceptance is as good as it gets. There is no absolution that comes with forgiveness. People's um, wrongdoings don't go away when we forgive them. Um, and we we don't always forget what they've done when we uh, forgive them. But we do accept them as human beings who are capable of mistakes, who are capable of the same kind of errors in judgment, errors of feeling, errors of emotion, errors of thought that we all have. And... You know, that brings us then to the place of well, that what they did to me was worse than what I did to them. We can think of all forms of, 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 of collective bias, discrimination. I, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, and for many, many years I've, I was ashamed to say that I lived in Birmingham, Alabama because our history here has been so shameful. Uh, what we did uh, to, to our brothers and sisters of the darker race here in Birmingham Alabama cannot be forgotten it is not forgotten it is brought up on the news many many times and yet this was a critical place of change because this was the place where it became so obvious that white people were discriminating against African-Americans that the change began because it was here it was in our faces it couldn't be hidden anymore and so What came up as a big black mark on the city of Birmingham also came up as a time of change and um, passionate restoring and reconciliation between the races. Now, that's not over yet. I'm not suffering any delusions to believe that we have totally reconciled uh, between African Americans and the white people of America. But I am saying that... There have been strategic points of change. And what happened historically here in the uh, the city of Birmingham when black people were hosed down and bitten by uh, police dogs simply because they were having a peaceful march uh, made it so apparent that discrimination was real that we could no longer avoid it. We could no longer stay in that state of denial that is a part of acceptance. We had to recognize that there was fear and anger related to what we thought might happen if african-americans were allowed to march peacefully and tell us that they deserved equal rights what was so scary about that what was so scary about it was that we had an identification that said we are a certain kind of people we are superior and we should be able to lord it over other people and of course that's completely erroneous thinking but we're all capable of it because we can also see now that in the African-American culture there are also people who are discriminating against both white people, against Jewish people, against gays and lesbians. There is discrimination even within that culture. So discrimination doesn't, doesn't have a face. It has a feeling. And we can't make it go away by thinking about it. We, can't, we have to walk through the process. Denial, anger, sorrow, bargaining, and acceptance. And some of the bargaining that took place historically for us in America, it's probably very similar to what took place in Australia for the Aboriginal people, is that people began to wake up. They began to see that other people were being harmed and hurt and and, and seriously injured, trapped in in difficult and poverty-stricken lives because of discrimination. And that waking up process was coming out of denial. And then there was the anger that was also there the anger and the and the sorrow the anger that says from the from the person's discriminated against it says wait how can you dare treat me this way it also says i'm so sad that you're treating me this way and from the people who are discriminating it says i hate you because you scare me for whatever reason you scare me i have an identity and you're threatening it and so you must stop doing that and and so you know that, that process had to unfold completely. It will continue to unfold. We're not done yet. It has to continue to unfold if we are to really reconcile completely between all races. Um, the American Indians withstood atrocious, savage, um, murderous things from the white people who came and took their land, destroyed their people, killed their children and their wives and, and um aborted their babies and did all kinds of horrible things to them in the name of white supremacy. We were supposed to be able to take over this land because why? Because why? I'm not sure why, but that was what we thought we should be able to do. And so we went around saying that the Indians were the savages. They were the bad guys. We were not the bad guys. They were, and we had to get rid of them because they were the bad guys. That is the essence of discrimination. So we say... You're bad because I'm scared that you might have something that I need, so I'm going to have to take it from you now, so you're bad. Make sense of that for me? Not sure you can. Not sure I can. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Discrimination doesn't make sense. But we have to be able to walk through, again, that process. Denial that lies and says things that aren't true. Anger that says, I hate you because you scare me, or I hate you because you have something that I need. Um... Sorrow that says, what, I can't have what I need? No, you have to give it to me. Uh, bargaining that says, yes, you will give it to me. I will I will kill you, so you will give me what I need, and that way I can live with the fact that I didn't have it, now I do have it. Um, all kinds of things that take place in our minds that really have nothing to do with reality. The reality is that we're all here. We're all human beings. We all deserve the same exact rights for health, for happiness, for peace of mind, for monetary um, you know, being okay monetarily, we all have those same needs, and we all have the, should have the same rights to get those needs met. And and so we live in a day and age where fear is running rampant right now, particularly with regard to the health care plan that's out there. Uh, without getting into too much political stuff about that, I will say that um, you know our health care is part of what I would consider to be our right. And uh, we've not all been able to have those rights met equally because there's been a a way of saying, no, you can't have that because you don't have insurance or you can't have that because you don't have the money. You just have to go ahead on and die. You're not allowed to have the same rights that I have because I have insurance and I have money. And so I don't want to think about you anymore. You go away. Um, And that's denial. And then, of course, there's the anger and the fear that that comes up first that says, oh, my God, what if we – we take care of all these people. What does that mean about our country? What does it mean about our identity as an American citizen? What does that mean? And then there's the, the sorrow that comes with, oh, my gosh, we're changing, and that feels sad. And then there's the bargaining that says, well, maybe we really don't have to change. And then finally we will reach a place of acceptance where we say, okay, everybody does deserve the same kind of rights. How are we going to make that happen? How are we going to work together to make that happen? I think it's very interesting in this time that we are, we are as a nation saying that the, the Republicans and the Democrats need to work together, and how come they're not doing that? But yet we as citizens are not working together. We're mad at each other. We're fighting each other. We're arguing with each other about this thing, which really is all about our own needs. So it's an interesting paradigm, this thing about forgiveness and acceptance, moving out of disc- uh, discrimination into a collective whole unit. And we're going to talk about that some more right after the break. We'll be back
2: in just a moment. Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh wave network.
4: Dad, can I ask
0: you something? Sure. There's this girl I kinda like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just dunno, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh, uh. oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works these self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit... A I H T dot E D U. All my love. Awakened
2: media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
1: And we're back for our halfway mark through the show today. Uh, the show, as you know, is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, an interfaith school meant to help you fulfill your life, your dreams, and help your world. Uh, we did, we're did; finally able to get Camilla chance. so I'm really, really grateful for that. As we said at the beginning of the show, Camilla is the author of Wisdom Man, a moving and powerfully awakening book about the Aboriginal literature, Uh, leader, Banjo Clark, whom we've talked about just briefly on the show. Um, And what I've done, Camilla, is I've just talked about him just a little bit on the show based on your book, and I've also um, talked about the whole idea of discrimination and how that has impacted us in the United States. Uh, so, So that's sort of where we sort of veered off, because I don't know as much about Banjo as you do, so I want to talk with you about Banjo Clark. So welcome to the show, Camilla.
4: Thank you very much, Andrea, and I'm very privileged to enjoy your hospitality. I'm very honored to be on your show and with your listeners. I've been trying very hard to get on it for the last half hour, and here we are at last.
1: Thank you, and I'm so glad you were able to get through finally. Okay, so uh, you you actually sort of interviewed or worked with Banjo Clark for 27 years. What was it about this man that... Kept you in there for twenty seven years working with him
4: Wow well, <laughs> well, first of all, I probably should say that Aboriginal people make sure you 're worthy before they 'll tell you anything. Um, this is perhaps a slightly unfair statement to to both of us because they did connect with me immediately immediately I met aboriginal people at the settlement and and aboriginal settlement and particularly Banjo Clark, there was this instant connection and his children came round to my house very soon afterward and said we trust you, we want you to write about us and I said I I can't, I don't know anything and it took 27 years before I felt that I knew enough uh, to, to try to make a book of it But certainly Banjo did start speaking with me a great deal straight away about Aboriginal feelings and it's a totally different world from white Australia. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Aboriginal elders, uh, well all Aboriginal people have a way of courtesy that you do not ask questions. You wait until the person is ready to tell you. So this makes for a lot of just sitting while he talked about whether the um, Indian Indians would win the cricket match or something like that uh, with the television on. (laughs) So it took quite a lot of sitting around while ordinary conversation was made uh, because you do not ask questions. That is a discourtesy in Aboriginal life.
1: Okay, Okay. so that might, uh, that's part of the reason why it took so long, I guess,
4: huh? Yes, yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you, yes.
1: Okay, so one of the things that I was real aware of as I sort of studied the background information on your book and on Banjo Clark was that he had been, um, among many others, had been uh, discriminated against and that in, in 2008 an official apology went out. I did make that announcement and read that apology yes. from the Prime Minister Rudd. Um, he and uh, uh, he, he, well, his response to discrimination was, uh, as you've called it, uh, reconciliation in its most generous and forgiving form. Uh, and, and that was a long time before that reconciliation was given a name and became fashionable. So can you tell us about how he came to such a stance
4: Well, he was always special in that he was a very, very loving person, always. He always had a big heart. And uh, this is very much so among Aboriginal people in general. I feel that we all have this universal love in us very deeply, but we have covered it with a veneer of what we have been taught and a, a veneer of corruption and materialism, if you like, which aboriginal people do not have. They are not a material people at all. Uh, And uh, so, of course, with this enormous love, it is easy to forgive. And Banjo would say to himself as he was going through a town and police would catch up with him and lock him up for the night for nothing and let him go in the morning, as he said, without even a cup of tea, and say, just you keep walking, you're you not allowed to get work in this town. And Aboriginal people did have to put up with an enormous amount because they were not even regarded as citizens until 1967. They came under the Plora and Fauna Act, all the laws to do with them came under that in Australia. And white Australians had no idea that the laws that were just, that governed them, uh, did not apply to Aboriginal people at all and anything could be done to them and their children could be taken away almost as pets, brought up almost like pets. So um, there was this huge discrimination after the era of massacres But Banjo always thought to himself, that policeman will learn kindness when he's older. And he would always think that way. And he would think things will have to change. They have to. One day, things will change for the better. And actually, I'm a Baha'i, and uh, Baha'i's... There was an Aboriginal Baha'i, a young man, 16 years old, who, wanted, who was staying with me along with a lot of Baha'is of different nationalities. And the Baha'i faith is one that teaches that all humankind is one family. So we feel that very strongly in the Baha'i faith. So this young Aboriginal man wanted to meet local Aboriginal people, and we all went out to the settlement where I was living, and we sat in the grass in a circle outside the settlement around this aboriginal young man who was the star and he played the guitar and sang and we all hummed along with him and that was following aboriginal courtesy because when one member of a tribe goes to visit another tribe he will sit in the state of of tribal times uh, which still continue in a huge number of places in the bush uh, he will go and sit near the tribe where he can be seen but when but where he cannot overhear and the elders of the tribe will discuss whether he should be invited in and eventually they'll send a little boy out to invite him in if they decide that and usually they do and uh, then he will be given every hospitality But Aboriginal people have enormous integrity, and what they feel is integrity is adapting to the modern world by doing things in an Aboriginal way. And they can always find an Aboriginal way of doing things and keep their trueness to themselves. So they don't barge up to a house and knock on the door, and they don't barge up to somebody and say, Hi, how are you? Uh, they have the habit of waiting, and if Banjo visited me at home, he would wait outside in the garden, hoping I would see him from a window. He wouldn't come and knock at the door. So we were obeying Aboriginal custom, and we were sitting outside the settlement, and Banjo and a whole lot of other men came past us in a car and looked out and hung out of the windows, and we waved them over, but they kept on driving. And very soon afterward, a woman came out and invited us in and invited us to, and introduced us to the people in all the different houses. And in the last house was Banjo, and I felt this immense love from all the people I was introduced to, but when we met Banjo in the last house, there was this instant recognition of universal love in each other, and my little girl, who was with us, and she was four years old, ran to him, and he picked her up and hugged her, and it was a great rec- recognition of universal love. So anyhow, uh, Banjo, when he was hanging out of the car passing us, said to himself, the change has happened. The change has happened at last, because we were all different nationalities around this young Aboriginal boy who was the star, this young man of 16 years old. He was the star, and it was a completely different atmosphere. We were all happy together, and uh, we obviously loved each other, and the big change had happened. Soon after that, three of the men were put into hospital, and again, this was a big change. The big change gathered momentum from then on. Uh, They were put into hospital because they had pneumonia, and they were cured. And Banjo was one of the three, so my little girl and I visited him in hospital. But the point is that up till that moment, Aboriginal people, when they reported at hospital and they were not actually dying, would just be sent away with aspirin and and they wouldn't be admitted to the hospital. And so this was part of the big change, too. And while he was in hospital, I visited him. He said, the nurses learnt from me how to be with people, by which he meant with Aboriginal people, because they couldn't, he says in the book, they couldn't work it out why a respectable lady was visiting Aboriginals. How could they be so important? And my little girls play, My little girl sang to them. She played her toy ukulele and sang them French lullabies. And... Um, the nurses realized that music unites the hearts and they would come around to listen and they changed towards their patients, their Aboriginal patients, they changed. And my heart was in my mouth because my daughter was singing uh, French lullabies. Wow. Uh, I'll continue after the break, shall I?
1: Yes, please do. Yes. yes, please do. Thank you. We'll be Thank back you. for the final segment of the Authentic Living Show with Camilla Chance in just a few minutes, so stay tuned.
2: Awakened Media for a Transforming World, Seventh Wave Network.
3: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, AIHT, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love.
0: America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA?
2: SkillsUSA is life changing.
0: SkillsUSA is awesome.
2: SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states.
0: That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: Okay, we're back with our final second segment today, talking with uh, Camilla Chance about her book, Wisdom Man, as the story of Banjo Clark. Um, and I want to tell you that uh, for our listening audience, which is international, both Australia and all around the world, you can uh, make connection with Camilla Chance at her website, which is www.wisdommanbook.com, wisdommanbook.com, um, and uh, her her email address. She's just informed me isn't uh, uses her Aboriginal name, so it's too complex for you to remember. But you can make contact with her there, and also purchase the books there uh, as well. So. You were telling us a story, Camilla, and I want to finish up that story before we have to go today.
4: Yes, I was talking about visiting Aboriginal men in hospital. There were three men, including Banjo Clark, in this room in the hospital, and that my daughter, four years old, was singing them French lullabies. And my heart was in my mouth because uh, in white Australia, if you show that you know French. It means that you think yourself better than other people. So I I thought these people will think we're snobs. But the wonderful thing about Aboriginal people is that they see straight into your heart. They see right absolutely into your heart. And it was the most wonderful thing in the world for me to meet people who could see straight into my heart. It was the biggest relief, and they knew that my daughter was singing just to make them well, just to make them feel better, and they knew it was a gift from her heart, and they knew that I felt the same way, very respectful of them. So uh, that, that that was great, and Banjo asked for work at my house. He said if he got out of hospital without being having work, he would probably drink, so he wanted work, and I gave him the job of building a house, building a fence along the cliff that our house was on so that my children would not fall into the river. And he did that. We worked together. He was boss, and I pulled the wires tight, and we worked together. And, of course, I got to know him very well, and his children kept visiting us at my house and many other Aboriginal people as well. So, yes, the, the, the book is there. Aboriginal people are very deeply spiritual, and that is something a lot of white people have lost, the sense that the spiritual realm is all around you. There's almost no... No gulf between the spiritual realm and and material realm. Are you still there, Andrea? Yes, I am. I yes, uh, and uh, this gives Aboriginal people this immense confidence. They can walk through the desert knowing that they'll be guided to find water when they need it, and they won't block their senses to out of tension to to the signs of where water is, they know they are loved deeply by the spiritual realm, by their ancestors and all in the spiritual realm, and they love them back, and they know that as long as they try to do the right thing, they will be guided, they will be told. When calamity might have befallen a relation far away, they will be told they will get this feeling, intuitive feeling, and so they know that if they haven't been told that, all is well, and we have lost that, and they really pity uh, those who have lost that because it gives them a deep core of happiness. And also another important Aboriginal law is sharing. An Aboriginal person will not eat in front of another human being or even an animal without sharing half their food. And we we could have a little bit of that in us too, I think. Okay. Uh, this is a, a, an important natural thing that has somehow uh, come out of us through 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 probably us not being encouraged as babies. And even when people become adults, it has amazed me that the whole sharing process has been gone through again when you're about eight years old and you're taught to share all over again, uh, your natural tendency as a baby not having been brought out. And then when you become an adult, suddenly people stop sharing again. And I couldn't understand ever why this Happens so a good bit more sharing would be good for us to learn as well. I feel
1: absolutely, absolutely. You're absolutely right, and it's interesting to me that as uh, I'm not an Australian, obviously, and I'm not, uh, and I I am a white person, but I'm not an Australian. And but that whole idea of the white people having dominance over other races is. Pretty much worldwide, and uh, what we have lost in 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 keeping ourselves from the information that we could have gotten from these amazing people, not just the Aboriginals, but African Americans, Africans, um, you know, Iranians, all kinds of people that we're prejudiced and discriminate against because we don't, because it's scary to us.
4: Yes, well, I think this is quite rapidly changing, and I think the world will definitely become one family. I think prejudice is breaking down a lot. The Baha'i faith says that all prejudice is destructive, all prejudice. You don't prejudge anything or any situation. And certainly, you mentioned the apology, and Aboriginal people living in the eternal present, as they do, uh, do not have grudges. So it was very easy for them to accept the apology. And they had been saying uh, that... How can we heal if nobody recognizes that we have anything to heal from? But once the apology was made, they gave dinners all over Australia saying an apology can either be accepted or rejected, and we accept it. And they invited white people to these dinners and made speeches and had music and dancing and said this is the material sign that we accept the apology. I was actually invited to a dinner in the north of Australia. I lived in the south. And the family that invited me, uh, the Governor General of Australia, chose to sit at our table. So I gave her a copy of Wisdom Man. Anyway, so I thought I'd tell you about that.
1: Wow. Wow, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, I'm so glad we've had the opportunity to talk with you today, Camilla. This is I'm, I was afraid we were going to miss that opportunity, and I was just going to have to rant on about my own opinions about Banjo, Joe, Banjo Clark. Uh, so I'm glad that we got the chance to talk with you today and, and that our listeners have been able to hear from you personally about the amazing Aboriginal people. So I really will encourage you listeners to go to her website at www.wisdommanbook.com and learn more about banjo joe and about the aboriginal people Um, it will do your soul good and next week tune in again we're going to be back again to talk about rain or rain is it raining all over your life or are you raining your own life Um, and just remember your job should you choose to accept it is to give birth to yourself